Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. How are you all? Hot! It's good, isn't it? It's, summer has arrived, and uh, it's, it's been creeping up on us for a while, and, uh, but I kind of feel like it's finally arrived, and um, it's, been, it's just so good. Everyone feels happy, and getting your shirts off, and making everybody, <laughs> blinding the neighbors, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, getting that um, sunburn that we do so well. <laughs> Fantastic. So we're carrying on our, uh, our uh, Only Human series. And uh, so uh, we've been looking at a number of uh, people who have understood what it is to find God and connect with Him and discover that their life isn't just a human existence, but it is a God existence that we were we are born natural, but we are called to live supernatural. We were born um, without that relationship with God, but God, His hand has led us into a place where we can walk with Him, we can understand Him and know Him, and know the destiny and call of God upon our lives. And in all of that, there is a, a, an incredible journey for us um, as we understand that the natural world you live in, God is calling you to understand that in your world, He wants you to apply faith. He wants you to apply the supernatural work of His Spirit. He wants you to cry out in, in prayer. And He wants you to see that He can deal with every challenge that you're facing. He wants you to know that He can not only deal with, with challenges. I think sometimes in church that we often focus, we stand up and we talk about all the problems and God can deal with it. And I'm often, I'm sitting in, con- in the congregation, sometimes I'm even saying it thinking, well, not everyone's got a problem. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> it's not, you know, God is not just a problem solver. He's not just there to, you know, heal you and, and give you money and feed you and, and, you know, pat you on the back and, you know, when you're feeling down. He's there to walk with you as a friend. And, and, and when you're feeling strong, He makes you stronger. When you've got great vision and you're stepping out in faith, He's there to take that journey that far, that much more beyond where you're at. And so um, through this series, we're here looking, understanding what it is to stretch beyond our, our natural world. And, and so we're going to look at uh, Gideon this morning. And uh, Gideon is a... Um, is a, he's an interesting guy that we don't talk about Gideon that much in church, but if you've been uh, in church for any length of your time, you you're, may know the story, but we're going to maybe just I'll give you a bit of a background uh, before we, we read the scripture so that you understand. Gideon uh, was born at a time during the Judges. So the Judges period is the time before Israel uh, had any kings. And uh, a judge would, ri- would, uh, would rise up and, and lead the people 
uh, and bring them back to God and, and bring a sense of government and governing within the land and, and bring a sense of peace and, and God would dwell with them. And what would ha- generally happen during the judges, the judge would, would die and then the people would just wander off on their own and, and become lawless. Uh, then they get into difficulty and then they cry out to God, why have you done this to us? Uh, and then God would rise up another judge and away they would go again. And it was kind of this kind of, this circle. And so Gideon is born at a time when there isn't a judge and everyone's just doing as they please. And they found themselves in difficulty once again. But of course, it's not their fault. And uh, because it's always somebody else's, right? And uh, so Gideon is, um, Gideon is this guy. He's the, he's the youngest son of the uh, weakest clan. He's just, he's a bit of a nobody, um, but he's um, threshing uh, wheat in the wine press, um, hiding from the Midianites. Many of the people, they've, um, they have run away. The, the Midianites and the Amorites would come and they would raid their crops and destroy their crops and steal their food. And so a lot of them are living in caves and they were just living in places where they were trying to just carve out a living and there were huge poverty was upon the people. And so here is Gideon uh, and he's hiding in the wine press when the angel of the Lord comes and meets him. So we're going to read from Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Um, and it should come up on the, the screen there for you. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. Uh, this is the New King James Version. Uh, and it says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now Gideon replied, rolling his eyes, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of the land of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He promptly put out his bottom lip. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. You shall serve Israel. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon's attention was raised at this point. And he said, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. This is an incredible moment in Gideon's life where he is confronted with his destiny. And you know, the amazing thing about our lives is that God comes to meet us and He confronts us with our destiny. But we're not always in a place to receive it. Gideon was a victim, had a victim mindset. I suspect that all of Israel had a victim mindset. If you put someone in a defeated position, they feel like they are a victim. We live in a society that is constantly pushing the agenda 
of the victim. If you are a victim of this person, if this has happened to you, you are a victim. The society is constantly telling us we're victims of all sorts of things. That um, um, it, it doesn't just come, ta- come down to uh, physical crime now. It can come down to... We're even victims of banking abuse. And uh, maybe you took out a loan and you're a victim. If you took out a loan... <laughs> If you um, took out a credit card and you didn't read the small print, you're a victim. And suddenly, here we are. The society we have as a society that believes there are victims. Now, there's a problem with being a victim. The moment you believe you are a victim is the moment you have already decided that you are defeated. The victim is the loser. The victim is the one to whom something bad has happened and there is nothing they can do about it. A victim is someone who is powerless to change their world and their circumstances. If you want to live like a victim, then you can be a victim, just stop complaining about it. Because you're the one who chose to be the victim. You don't choose events happening to you. You're not a victim because something happened to you. You're a victim because you decide to let that event rule your life. That's the difference. Someone who is a victim or someone who is an overcomer. We have been called to overcome in the kingdom of God, not to live as a victim. Now, Gideon, he believed he was a victim. He believed that not only was he the, of the weakest, he, he, he'd already prepared this speech. It obviously had gone around in his head many times. Here is a man. He does not know it's an angel. And the first thing he says, Oh my Lord, as in man. And then when he gets this repetitive word, he suddenly calls him Lord as in God. But at first he's like, Who are you? What are you doing here anyway? What, what is this that you just turn up and tell me to... I'm a mighty man of valor. What do you mean I'm a mighty man? I'm not a mighty man of valor. He'd already prepared the speech. He, he was depressed. And uh, he was feeling sorry for himself. And he was enjoying being depressed. And, and not only was he enjoying being depressed, but he felt that he had a right to be depressed. After all, where are God's miracles? Well, I mean, you know, if God is a God of miracles, where are they? So, so tell me where they are before I'm going to do anything. You know, I'm amazed, the amount of people, that when we get into a place of being a victim mindset, we say, well, where is the blessing then? Where are the miracles? Where are the healings? Well, where are they then? Instead of running to find the God of miracles, we start sticking out our bottom lip and having a moan and having a groan because all of these things, we live and speak like a victim. And, and Gideon had a victim mindset, as did the rest of the nation. And he had more reason to live and believe like he was a victim because he was the the least of his family. I mean, he was the least of his family, but he wasn't one of the servants, right? But that didn't seem to make any difference. (laughs) Actually, he was the least, but he had many men who he could call on. So he said he was the least, but really he had a lot going for him. He just wasn't celebrating what he had going for him. He could call on ten men to come and help him. But that was irrelevant at this moment in time. I am the least. 
And suddenly he's painting a picture that isn't even true to his own life. He's feeling so defeated, he's not even placing value on the blessings that actually still existed in his life in a world where there was actually a lot of persecution. So children of Israel are being, their food is being stolen. He had food. He's hiding it in the wine press. Who has a wine press? <laughs> he got, <laughs> the guy's got a wine press, right? <laughs> he's probably got the wine in the wine press and the... Uh, <laughs> And the wheat in there, just to confuse the Midianites, because they can't work that one out. And here he is in the wine press, and he's feeling like he doesn't have anything. But he has an amazing amount, he just doesn't, he can't value it, and he can't celebrate it. You know what? We've got to understand that, one, we've got to celebrate what God has given us to this point, because all of that is significant to what he's going to do later on. The second thing is that, that God wants you to understand that He is confronting you with your destiny. And He's confronting you with the call of God that rests upon your life to rise up and do something that your mind does not feel comfortable with. When God, as Cheryl shared this morning, Aberdeen. Aberdeen? I, you know, I'd heard of Aberdeen, of course. I'm, you know, I'd heard of it. I remember in going, walking to my office, we had a map of the United Kingdom. A lot of people, you know, you get a map, you stick it on, no idea why you've got a map, you know. We had a map of the UK, and uh, I had a little business on the southeast of England that covered a, a, a road. At maximum, we drove 50 miles, right? So we've got a map of the UK, and it's, 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 it was a big map. And I remember looking, I come into the office, and it was beginning, in my head, I had, we, Cheryl and I hadn't even spoken to each other at this point because God spoke yeah never no we hadn't even spoken to each other about Aberdeen at this point I get myself together now so God had spoken to me about Aberdeen and God had spoken to Cheryl but we hadn't talked to each other about it so it's in my heart and I've got this map and I walk into the office and I there there's there's um Hailsham and Eastbourne which is on the south coast right down there and I'm looking at, that's where we are. That, that's the point that you look at on the map. You know, when you look at the map, you always look at where you live first, and then you spread from there. So I always look from there, and I'm looking, Aberdeen, 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 Aberdeen. Aberdeen! What did, it's, it's 600 miles! It's like, it was, it was a world away. We'd never driven, we'd never crossed the border. We'd never, um, we'd barely been, we went to Cumbria, and we were thought we were in a foreign land. It was like... <laughs> Well, technically, you know. <laughs> and and then, see, see, when God confronts you with your destiny, you have to wrestle with things that you are not comfortable with. And God starts telling you things. You say, I can't do this because. And there are always a thousand reasons why you can't do it. And in your mind, you've decided that those reasons are true because of your past experience, because, because of a number of different reasons why. I can't do this because. And you, you've made it up in your head why you can't do it, and you've agreed with yourself, and the two of you are happy with that. <laughs> you don't feel like you're schizophrenic, but there's something going on 
You're having this little conversation with yourself and you've decided, the both of you have decided it's true. You're telling, you're coming back to God and saying, no, we've decided. We can't do this. But God wants you to understand that he's confronting you with your destiny. And Gideon begins to get this confrontation. And you see, the confrontation always meets at a point of conflict where we see impossible circumstances and situations that we can't change. Do you know, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things? Romans 8, verse 31, and I'm reading the New Living Translation, Descent. What shall we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us the right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of the uh, honor of God's right hand pleading for us. And you know, I, I want you to understand that, you see, we condemn us, but we, we're the voice, the greatest enemy to your, your life is the voice that's in your head. Yeah. The things that you say to yourself, you would not let your friends say to you. In fact, you would never talk to them again if they said those things to you. But you say them to yourself quite happily and you don't even get offended. You'll say it and you'll say it again because it, it felt, you can get addicted to the feeling of self-pain. It is the technical, it is... Like self-harming, you're just doing it to the inner man. And you're speaking to yourself. And Gideon was speaking to himself. He wasn't hearing what he wasn't seeing who he really was. But you see, God, God came and he saw something in Gideon. And he wanted Gideon to rise up. And he saw something. You know what? God sees something in your life. He sees that which burns on the inside. And what sat in Gideon is incredibly, it's actually quite complex, but it's this amazing gifting that raised upon his life. You see, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him, God knew instinctively, um, or sorry, God knew what, what Gideon would do instinctively. So God knew that he would just have a little bit of a moan and a complain because he's been having a moan and a complain for a long time. But God knew that in his heart he couldn't help, he couldn't resist the bait that was laid before him. And the angel of the Lord laid a bait before him. He says there, let me just read that to you again in verse 16. Um, sorry, verse 15. Surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And something rises up in Gideon. Something rises on the inside and faith begins 
to be purposed within his heart. And this morning I want us to I want us to see that when God begins to purpose something within your heart, our response has to be a faith step. Now Gideon, he received a faith. This is how he responded by bringing an offering. He responded in faith to bring an offering. Uh, And I want you to understand the power of a great offering. I want you to understand that an offering, understand that, you see, many people are waiting for God to do something for them. But they haven't responded with an offering. It says in verse 16, Judges 6 verse, sorry, 18. Judges 6 verse 18, it says, Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And the angel said, I will wait for you. Uh, come, I will wait until you come back. You see, Gideon knew of God. Okay, they're living in a land where they they worshipped Baal. Now they worshipped Baal because Baal was the god of the Midianites, and they were keeping the Midianites happy. But these are children of Israel that have their faith in God hidden away, and their stories that they are telling what God has done they would speak in the quiet of the evening when the lights had turned down and the Midianites have gone home. And they would tell the stories and the traditions and the values of who God really is is spoken into the heart. And so they're living this dual compromised world. And so Gideon isn't living a life of faith, but God is there somewhere in his world. And the moment the moment he gets that point of destiny, he, stretch, he steps out, he takes a goat and he sacrifices the goat and he sacrifices it before the angel Lord. He brings an offering. And I want you to understand that, see, when God asks us to do something, we say, what will you give me? You want me to do, what will you give me? This is what God said, what will you give me? Well, this is what I want you to do. Now, what will you give me? See, God wants your heart. You see, an offering is the power to lay your life before God and trust Him with everything. When Cheryl and I got married, 1988, um, the summer of 88, we'd been saving for two years. And um, I'd been running my own business and I I was paying myself 40 pounds a week uh, and I upped it to 60 pounds a week when we were getting married it was basically we were running a business but we couldn't afford to take money out of the business so Cheryl was working as a hairdresser uh, and she had recently qualified uh, and was was earning peanuts and so um, so we, we hadn't managed to really save up much money and we're getting married and we'd saved in two years we'd saved 700 pounds Actually, it was about 600 or something. And God spoke into our hearts. There was a couple from India that had come to minister in the church. Um, and they had come through to minister and they were taking, they were taking an offering because they wanted to raise enough money to build a home. When they got home, they had a, a ministry in India uh, that our church supported. And they didn't have a home. They needed to build a home. 
and they needed to raise enough money, and at the time it was like they needed £10,000 or something to build a house. And I heard God speak to me in that, that was that moment. See, see, God's call of God was on my life at that moment, but I heard God say, give the money that you've saved to get married. Now, we're getting married in six weeks, right? So we need the money. We need the money. We've got no honeymoon. We've got nowhere to live. We've got nothing. We've paid for nothing. We're getting married in six weeks. We've got 600 pounds in the bank. And God says to me, give it away. And I share it. I, I tell Cheryl, she cries a lot. And then she goes quiet. And then she comes back a couple of days later and says, if we wait, if we wait a few days, the interest payment will be made on the money that's due and we'll get more and we can give more. And I just knew that moment, that moment inside, that, that offering set up the rest of our life actually. It, it set us before God. And, and we gave away the money. It was, the, it was just the most, it was one of the most joyful offerings I, I, I think we've ever had the opportunity to do. Um, we'd never done an offering like that before. And, and when it's the first time, there's something just so precious. And I remember just going um, and with this huge envelope and just, I was so excited. In those six weeks, God gave us, we had gifts of all the money we needed come back to. All the six, seven hundred pounds came back. But then the honeymoon got paid and we got a house. Uh, we was lent a car. There was, there was just stuff came, came, come. Everything that was supplied for us. Our house was filled with just about everything you could imagine. Do you remember the electric carving knives you used to get? You don't bother with stupid stuff like that anymore. But we had electric carving. I was running around the house going, I wonder what I can carve with this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hello, darling. <laughs> and there's this. <laughs> she's lost it and uh, you always know at some point she's going to and you know that what happens is that when you lay an offering before the Lord your offering has power to bring you into a new place see, see a lot of people feel like that a lot of people have said you know, if you don't, if you don't give God withholds a blessing actually that's just that's not actually the truth that's that's Technically, not how it works. What happens is if you bring an offering, you release a blessing. So it's not that God's withholding, it's just it's not being released because your offering is what releases it. You, you, it. The key is what unlocks the door. If you don't have the key, your door doesn't get unlocked. The offering releases something that is within. And so God wants you to understand Gideon knew the power of a great offering. And he came and he realized that at that moment in time, as he brought that offering, that he had met with God. And something changes in Gideon because at this point in time, Gideon only has himself in his head. He's talking to himself. He's been talking to himself for years. Then this this fella turns up tells him he's a mighty man of valor, which he doesn't really believe, but he's not sure about. But then he convinces him, so he does an offering, and suddenly the angel 
is taken up into heaven in the offering. Disappears in the offering. And suddenly, Gideon gets this shock. I've seen God. I'm going to die. It's a bit like... It's, it's, it's a bit like... Um, Samson's dad, um, who, who thought he was going to die, and, and uh, Sam, uh, his mum's like, get up, you, you idiot. You're not going to die. We've got to have a kid. And, and Gideon's a little bit like the same. Oh, my word, I, I've, seen a, I've, seen, I've seen God, and I'm going to die. And, and read this. In Judges, 20, in Judges 6, 22, it says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. The difference being is there wasn't anyone there to tell him that. All conversations with God at that point in time were face to face with someone there having a conversation. Right? The next conversation he has is the, say, the conversation is the ty- same type of conversation that you have with God that we have. Suddenly, after the offering, God is in his world. Suddenly, once he's he's broken through, now he's in a relationship with God, in a special communion, because he's connected in covenant relationship with him. You see, when you bring your offerings to the Lord, you bring a statement of your love and your affection. You bring something of your life and your world, your wealth, the value of who you are. And you bring it before the Lord and it builds an opening into your heart and it empowers you to walk with him far more closely, to hear his voice. Gideon's world changed. At one, up to this point, he has him in his head and now he's got God. Wow. I want to encourage you to understand that. See, Gideon's world right there went from the natural to the supernatural. Right there because he responded in faith with that offering. Now, what happens with Gideon next is that you think I'm going to talk about the fleece, don't you? I've been talking about this all week with my father-in-law. You think I'm going to be talking about the fleece, but the fleece barely gets mentioned. And for those of you who don't know, you'll have to read the chapter yourself. (laughs) So, Gideon, this is the reason why God chose Gideon. And I want you to see this because these are, there's, a, there's a critical point in, in Judges chapter 8 that is the big moment. And it's often bypassed because we think, this is, we think that the fleece moment is the big moment. The fleece moment is the moment when Gideon's not sure whether he's heard from God or not. How many of you know that feeling? <laughs> oh, I don't know. So he, when he, the, on the fleece moment, he goes, God, if I didn't hear from you, I'm going to lay out the fleece and the ground's going to be wet and the fleece is going to be dry. He wakes up in the morning, the ground is wet, the fleece is dry. Could have been a freak. (laughs) You know, well, you know, he's thinking like you and I think. Could have just been one of those moments. I mean, he may be just lifted off the ground, sorry, I don't know. So this time he prays, Lord, he he said, don't be angry with me, God. He says, but I, this, is, this is first time for me. I, I've not done this before, and I'm not really sure about this. So, let's reverse the deal. Wet fleece, dry ground. He wakes up in the morning. Wet fleece, dry ground. Yeah, that's God. <laughs> He's beginning to get that process. And he begins to understand God is speaking to him. 
He doesn't need an angel to turn up to him. God is living within his heart. He's speaking into his mind. He's possessing his being. I want you to understand. See, God is living in your heart. He fills your mind and he possesses your being. He he gives you all that you need. He walks with you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come that he might be a comforter to you. And so we've got to understand that that Gideon, he's an out-of-the-box thinker. The fact that he thought how do, how do I resolve the problem of whether there is a whether God's speaking to me or not? He creates this little kind of play, this test with God to see. And he's not testing God, he's testing himself. That's, that's the whole process. He doesn't know whether it's God or not. But the second thing, the, the other thing that he does is he threshes wheat in the wine press. Well, what's he doing? He's, he's a problem solver. See, Gideon was a problem solver who never appreciated the skill that was upon his life. You see, you see, God is operating in your heart. There are gifts within your heart. But because you haven't seen the destiny, the eternal destiny that lays upon your life, you're failing to understand the power of the gift that is working within you. And you see, Gideon was an out-of-the-box thinker. He thought of different ways of resolving the same problems, even when it came to tearing down the altar. The, he, he realized he had to tear down the altar of Baal and, and get rid of that. So it's the first thing he does. Um, the moment he realizes he's a mighty man of valor, so as a mighty man of valor, he waits till it's dark. <laughs> you see, he's not, he's a problem solver. How do I tear down the altar of Baal with everyone around me? I'm going to get killed. I'll wait till no one's around. And hopefully they haven't got the CCTV switched on. And they're not going to know. And, and he tears it down at night because he's a problem solver. Now I want you to go to what I think is the critical moment of Gideon's ministry or Gideon's rise to leadership. And this is it in Judges chapter 8. And verse 1. And what happens, let me just give you the intro here because we'll just run straight into the story. They have chased the, the uh, Midianites out. What had happened is the Lord had been with, um, with Gideon and uh, commanded him to send home thousands of men. Uh, and he'd, all he had done is taken the men that had drunk from the pool. Um, I can't remember which way around it was now. Uh, but they, how they drunk from the pool, he had 300 men from tens of thousands, and they chased on the, this, this huge encampment of men, uh, of Midianites and Amorites that are all camped against them, and they ran in against them, and the men started to uh, panic ensued. The Spirit of the Lord came uh, as a mighty army fighting for Israel and began to drive out the enemy. And so they chased these men and they chased them. And as they began to chase them, all Israel began to rise up in battle against the enemy. And so the word began to spread and so they began to chase out uh, these, these powers that were controlling them. And so we get here to Judges 8 verse 1. Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us? By not calling us, you went to fight with the Midianites. And they reprimanded him sharply. In other words, the men were extremely offended that they weren't asked to go to the battle. They felt like the battle should have been theirs too. That somehow some glory had been removed from them because they hadn't been a part of the original battle. But in fact, they had. They had been, they came in afterwards, after only 300 men started the fight, 
Uh, but, and all of Israel swept in afterwards. And what happened is that during that time, the men of Ephraim had captured the two uh, princes of the Midianites. And so it says here in, in, in verse 2, So he said to them, What have I done in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiza? And what was I able to do in comparison to you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Now, what had happened is that the men of Ephraim had captured the leaders of the Midianites. They caught them, and here they are, they caught and killed the men who had led the Midianites. They've caught the princes. And Ephraim, uh, sorry, Gideon, all he had done is made everyone run away. All right, so his men had caused everyone to run away. But the children of Ephraim, they had won a great victory. And this is, this is where Gideon and his leadership and the supernatural call of God begins to work as a leader begins to rise. Because at this moment in time, he's confronted with a conflict like you see in Ukraine. <laughs> Or you see between England and Scotland. Like you see between nation, within a nation, the people begin to split apart. And they begin to fight and say, you didn't take care of us. What are you going to do? And suddenly Gideon, see Gideon could have defended. He could have said, God told me that I had to go. But if he'd said that, then the Ephraim would say, well, why didn't God say anything to us? Doesn't he like us? Instead, he does the very same thing to Ephraim, what the angel had done to him. He doesn't answer the question or the complaint. He just tells them how great they really are. He just says how great they really are. Look what you've done. How amazing is it that you have won this incredible battle? What did I do in this amazing battle? Not that much compared to what you've done. And suddenly the men of Ephraim began to realize that, hang on a sec, God is with us too. See, this is a critical moment because this is the supernatural working through Gideon's life. Up until this point, he was the youngest son in the weakest clan, a victim in a victimized nation. And now he's inspiring a nation to rise up because he's listening to the heartbeat of God and he's listening to how God has been speaking to him and he's following in those footsteps. I want to say to you that, that, you see, God sees your potential. He sees the gifting. He placed it within you. He calls you to walk in his destiny. He calls you to look at your life and say, Lord, I'm responding in faith. You see, when Gideon responded in, in faith, he didn't know what faith would be required of him. He couldn't, he didn't. The angel of the Lord didn't say, you're going to take 300 men and you're going to chase tens of thousands away. He didn't tell him any of that. I've, I've noticed this, that God's told me to do things and he's only told me after I've started doing them how much I've actually taken on. There have been many times when we, we bought this building. 
we, we just assumed that we didn't have to get planning permission change and because of the process we thought that it was a, and we, we've agreed, legally agreed to buy it and then a week before we're due to move in we discovered that the bank said yeah, yeah, no, it's not classified, it's classified as a club, not a church it's a technical detail but we're not going to lend the money that we promised to lend you until you get that change. We've got one week to move in. To Had we known, perhaps we wouldn't have even been that place. Because that would have been a technical process which would have put us, taken us out of the picture. There were five other people. We were the cheapest bids on the building. But God had a plan. You see, see, when, see when God tells you to do something, You've got to understand, he said, God said, I am with you. Yeah. And there is Gideon's greatest victory. He realized that God is with him. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.